Time's yours. It's always soccer in Philadelphia on a Thursday afternoon, a beautiful day to forget about last night's boring 1-1 draw uh, with the New England Revolution, a game that will not be appearing on ESPN Classic uh, anytime soon, so we can just forget about that one. I'll actually take some questions about that, and we'll talk about it at the end of the podcast, but we're going to turn our attention to something much more exciting. The Philadelphia Union make another foreign signing. They have their attacking midfielder, a guy that they hope can bring goals and assists and some clarity to the attack. His name is Daniel Gajdag, a 25-year-old uh, from Hungary, uh, joining from Budapest, Hanbed. And I told you guys, look, if you can find a Hungarian football expert, bring him on the show and we'll talk about it with him. And so you found one for me. It's Tom Mortimer joining us uh, from England. How you doing, man? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. How are you? Good, good. So Tom is the uh, founder of HungarianFootball.com. Uh, you can find him on uh, Twitter. His handle is at uh, T-O-M-A-S-Z, Tomas Mortimer, M-O-R-T-I-M-E-R. Uh, a really simple rundown for you, Tom. We don't know anything about Daniel Gajdaj. We're excited from what we've seen so far uh, based on just YouTube clips and statistics. So what, uh, what can you tell us about him? Yeah, he's a player that's really gone under the radar for uh, the past five or six seasons since he's burst, well, he kind of burst onto the scene in a, in a Hungarian sense. Um, he in his just his second full season with the first team, they won the title at home base, um, and everyone was really excited about him in Hungary. They were like, "Yeah, this guy looks looks like a talent," and a lot of people kind of expected him to move abroad um, very soon. And I, I I was one of those people, and he, he played in uh, under twenty one games, and he was he looked really impressive. He played in a in a in a two one win over Germany under twenty ones. With uh, Dominic Soboslai, who is who's really highly rated, um, is now at Leipzig, um, and Skolstog was one of the better players. Um, and he was when he was in the World Twenty One, he was one of the better players in that team, um, showing up Soboslai at, at times as well. Um, so yeah, it's been a bit weird that he's it's kind of taken him so long to to move abroad. I, I, I've loved him for um, like I say since he burst onto the scene. However, there's, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, he's one of those players that can sometimes drift in and out of games. And I don't think that's entirely his fault. Um, I think it's kind of the way that he's been um, positioned in the team. So when he kind of first burst onto the, onto the scene, he played a little bit in, as, a, as a 10 and sometimes up front, sometimes even on the right wing, which is completely unsuited, which is completely unsuited to but when you kind of a young player you, you kind of get played in a lot of different positions and then he kind of settled upon like a defensive midfielder maybe more of a six um and then and that kind of just didn't bring out the best of him really like as you would have seen in, in youtube clips and stuff technically he's a really really good footballer great passer of the ball super smart um, and he kind of has all that, but then he wasn't really making having massive impact on games. Um, and I think that's maybe why he was, why foreign teams were a little bit put off by him. They maybe saw him as a player who looked fancy, looked technical, but wasn't maybe producing as much as as they as a team 
um, would like from their centre midfielders, especially in Hungary. You kind of want to look at you want you want you want to look at the stats. You want to look at assists. You want to look at goals. Whereas this season, um, he's just been he's had everything. He's had all that talent and style uh, and technical ability that we've kind of grown accustomed with, from seeing with him. Where and on top of that, he's got the numbers as well. He's uh, he's got uh, all the goals. And this is, um, he, he, I think he ended up finishing second top scorer in the league, which is amazing for a, pretty much a centre midfielder. He played a lot up top this season as well as a false nine and a second striker. Um, and and he yesterday won the player of the season award in the Hung- Hungarian league and he won goal of the season as well. So, like, that's how impressive he's been. And, like, I, I, if I was a union fan, I'd be, I'd be super excited because I, I think you've got a gem. Yeah, I'm really interested in the positional thing because, you know, looking over past lineups and stuff, I, it seems like they've used him all over the place and in a lot of different formations too. Um, the Union, uh, for what it's worth, play a 4-4-2. They play a diamond. Uh, so he's going to go in at the tip of the diamond and be an attacking midfielder, but he's going to have two strikers in front of him. Uh, so there's going to be defensive responsibilities there. Uh, the Union are, are a counter-pressing, very German-looking team where they like to swarm and play high and win the ball back. And it it seems, at least on paper, like he's a guy having played a bunch of midfield spots. Like he does have a little bit of that two-way kind of grinder mentality to him, but he adds some some create creativity and some flair going forward. Um, so based on that, if we were going to put him at the tip of the diamond in a four-four-two, do you think that's a, a spot that he would that would make sense for him? That sounds perfect, and I guess that's the reason why you bought him. Um, if if that is the case, because that just that just seems yeah exactly perfect for him. Um, he is a he is defense like he has defensive skills and he can be defensive minded when possible uh, when uh, when that is asked of him. It's just he has so much going forward as well. So if you, if you guys are a counter pressing team um, and he is put in that number ten role, I think it's just perfect for him to have two players ahead of him. One of the problems he's kind of had at home is, and one of the reasons why he's played in so many different positions, especially over the past three or four years since, since they won the title, to be honest, they've, they've become a, middle, uh, a mid-table team at best this season. They only just survived relegation, which shows how impressive his, his personal season was. Um, they've had loads of different managers. They've been not a very good team so he's been having to play in so many different positions and he's not looked at his best because of that so this season has kind of been like well if Honvéd are that bad and he's that good like how good is this guy really yeah, that's what I was going to ask, because I don't... Um, you know, the average American, I would be quite honest with you, we probably don't know jack shit about Hungarian football. And uh, <laughs> we're, we're, in, we're interested to to learn more. But, I mean, just tell us a little bit about Hanved and just, uh, you know, how, how you would compare the Hungarian league to, uh, you know, other European leagues that, you know, America may be a little bit more familiar with. Yeah, tough tough question. Um to compare them because it's it, it's one of those leagues where we have two dominant teams um, and then as you kind of go further down the league the, the quality lessens and lessens so Ferenc Varos for example could probably hold their own in um, potentially lower Bundesliga Bundesliga 2 maybe like lower reaches of La Liga uh, Italy, maybe Italy or something like that. Not Premier League quality, um, 
they've got a lot of very good players for the region. Um, they, they, they qualified for the Champions League last season and, and put a pretty good showings against Barcelona and Juventus in the, in the group stage and, and drew to Dynamo Kiev as well. So they're, they're, they're a good team, good team. Uh, Videoton, who um, are kind of the second best team that they didn't finish second this season, um, they're a very good team as well. Um, not quite as good as Ferenc Varos, um, but they beat um, Rem from Ligue 1 in Europe, Europe this season and, and are very good. The rest of them are kind of much of a muchness. And Honvade's team on paper is pretty good. Um, they, they've had a much worse season than they should have done. But their quality and probably the rest of the teams below those top two it's hard to it's hard to really say how good they are. Um, when our best, I guess that I guess the the kind of the uh, how how you can describe it is Sabot Schoen, who's just moved to FC Dallas, um, is one of the best, more exciting players in the league. And Daniel Gosdog's just won the league player of the season, and they've gone to MLS teams with not that much fanfare. So if those two are kind of like some of our better players in our league, I think that kind of shows like the level of, 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 the, of the league, really. Like we have some very, very good players and we have a couple of very good teams. And then the rest of them, you may be talking like UCL, USL quality, um, maybe like top reaches of that. Um, and yeah, you would like any MLS team should be, should be probably every team in 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 Hungary, um, apart from the top two, which they'd probably they'd probably they'd, those two would hold their own in MLS. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's not the best. It's definitely getting better um, in the region. It's been kind of very second rate behind the likes of Croatia, Romania, Serbia, um, even somewhere like Slovakia and Slovenia for for a long while. Whereas now that is becoming getting on more of a par with those kind of countries, a little bit behind the likes of Croatia, especially, uh, and Serbia, but it's not too far off anymore. So, uh, I mean, what, what, what do you make of MLS right now? And, uh, you know, specifically, I mean, is this a good, uh, is, I don't want to get, I got two kind of separate questions on this, but I'm more just a general first from like a macro level your thoughts on the American league now and, and how people in Europe uh, view MLS in 2021 maybe compared to how they looked at the league five or 10 years ago. Yeah. I was just saying actually on, on Twitter the other week, um, actually just at the weekend when I was watching Sabot Schoen's baby, um, I was just saying how much I feel like it's improved over the past five years. Like one of my favorite, I'm a kind of a football obsessive and watch leagues around the world. And one of my favorite leagues to watch is Liga MX. And I feel that MLS has become stylistically a lot more like Liga MX over the past, five years and I guess that's the South American and uh, North and Mexican types of players that are, are coming to MLS a lot more like the, especially younger players and I feel like uh, yeah stylistically and, and the, the tempo of the game has risen so much over the past five years and I love I love the league I love watching it um, I, I feel like it's really open there's so many young and exciting players I think it's a great place for Hungarian footballers to go to Um especially kind of below the elite. So like if we had a, a super amazing player like, like Sobos, like for example, and he went to MLS, then I'd be a little bit disappointed because I, I think he 
should be re, re, uh, aiming for higher, like Bundesliga, La Liga. But whereas someone like a Gosdog, previously they would have gone as like a, a halfway house between Hungary and the elite. They would have gone to somewhere like Belgium and Holland, whereas now they seem to be making that move. I think it seems to be the logical choice would be to go to somewhere like MLS. And I think it just makes perfect sense. Like, from I mean, just from a lifestyle perspective, like to go and live in America is, a, is an amazing opportunity for anyone. And, and Hungarians definitely see that too. I, I was speaking to Daniel Shaloy at Sporting Kansas City. He went when he was really young um, to, to, to FKC and, and um, spent time in the academy there. Um, and he absolutely loves it. And he speaks to Hungarians. When he's on, when he was on international duty as an under twenty one, and they were always asking him about like, oh, I'd love to move to MLS and stuff. So, and Goldstock played with Shaloy at um, under twenty one level. So, I imagine they've probably spoken together about it, about the moving, moving over here, over to America. And I think something that maybe not everyone uh, in Europe realizes is is the the training facilities that you have over there. I just like a lot of clubs world class. I've seen the one at SKC. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I guess that's the sporting heritage that you guys have in America. Um, like you are passionate about your sport. Um, and even with a, a lesser sport in, uh, especially compared to like the big four that you have over there, like you still treat it properly. And that's not always the case in Europe. Um, even like, in a league as well respected as someone like the Eredivisie, um, you have the lower reaches in there, and 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 same with like Bundesliga too, and Bundesliga clubs as well. Like they're not always like treated with the respect it deserves, and I think that's one of the things that I see, I guess anecdotally, uh, and just kind of from stuff I read with MLS, it's not quite the same like that. Like I guess there are clubs in MLS. Uh, that are maybe don't have the respect um, of of the owners that others do, but from my understanding, Philadelphia Union and FC Dallas as well that Schoen's moved to both do and and SKC with with Charloy. So I think all the Hungarians are in a great place. It, you say you ask the question like, is that the feeling of most Europeans? Probably not. I think there's still that perception that you guys. Or a soccer nation, and and you you call it soccer, and <laughs> instead of football, and blah blah blah, all that kind of stereotypical stuff that we uh, Europeans and British as people in particular have kind of this snobbery about football, and oh yeah, MLS is always rubbish. It's on Sky over here, no one watches it, and it's just rubbish. Blah blah blah. Well, for the um, longest time too, it was like guys like Steven Gerrard and Ashley Cole and Frank Lampard. And everybody thought they were just coming over here to take it, take your final yeah. paycheck. You were just going to chill on the beach, you know. <laughs> you weren't going to work hard. You and a lot of those guys proved there, there were some of the people like that, but a lot of those guys proved that proved that stereotype wrong because they came over here and they played for a couple seasons. And for the most part, it was those stories were I think few and far between. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I think there's definitely that, yeah, that perception in, in the UK where it's like it is kind of just treated with a bit of ridicule and disrespect, but that will change soon. And like, the, like people just need to watch it. Like it's, I think it's just a bit of ignorance, to be honest, and, and kind of, yeah, that's stereotypical. Um, I guess maybe like 
insecurity in a way. Like yeah. in, England fo- English footballers, especially, are, are always a little bit. They scorn at any league. They call it any league of farmers' league. So it's, yeah, yeah. So like, it's not just yeah, it's not. But, um, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a terrible place to be in, but it's kind of just the way. <laughs> what um, you know, it's funny you mentioned like field, facilities and stuff like that because for the longest time there was this trend of uh, European teams coming over here in the summer and doing their preseasons over here, and they would always talk about that. Like every single guy I interviewed would talk about the facilities. I remember Swansea was over here. Leon Britton was just talking about the facilities. You know, uh, Juventus and AC Milan they were putting them up in the Philadelphia Eagles. NFL professional facilities, you know, and they're talking about not having that stuff over there, which was insane to me because you're talking about Juventus and AC Milan, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was telling when I heard them say that. And when I think of a guy like Gaj Dog, it's, it's strange in a way because I think it's easy. This might be a dumb take. You tell me if this makes sense or not, but it, you know, over here on a completely different continent where um, there are maybe three active Hungarian players in North America right now, if he does well, it's probably easier for him to stand out over here. You know, whereas if you go, you're talking about Holland or Belgium or something like that, maybe you get a little bit lost in the shuffle. Um, but I've always seen it as one of those things where it's a brave new world. It's a whole new frontier over here. And it's easier to kind of like uh, push yourself out in front of the crowd if you if you come all the way over here and then end up doing well. Yeah, I think I, th- I completely agree. I think a lot of that eyes are on MLS at the moment when you see like the success of someone like Alfonso Davies, for example, and, and so many more Americans and Canadians making the journey from MLS at a young age to um, to um, to Europe, and it's not even just to smaller clubs; it's like to the biggest of the big. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of eyes are on on MLS. So if you are trying to just if if God's dog is using this as a as a stepping stone, like there's no there's no greater place in my in my opinion to go for to go and do that if if, if that's what he wants. Um, he is 25, so like he would have to do it quickly. He'd have to come and make an impact like straight away. And maybe like Union fans don't want me here me to hear hear me to say um, that yeah, he's going to use Union as a as a as a stepping stone. But I mean, I guess the probably cold hard reality is that's what he would want to do. Like he'd move to yeah. Union, have a couple of great years, and then move to a, a top five league, Premier League, whatever. And they're not um, naive to that fact anymore. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Soboschlei, which is interesting because Union fans are familiar with him because we just transferred a 20-year-old kid over to Salzburg and they played together for well, only like a half a season. But I think people are understanding the fact now that you have all these young American kids. I mean, we're a country of 300 million people, right? So there's going to be plenty of talent if you mine it properly. Ultimately, you know those guys are going over to Europe at some point. So even if Gajdag came over here and gave him a good two years and then at age 27, he was ready to go to Germany or something like that. Our sporting director's German has German connections. To me, that's not a bad career path at all. No, no, no. And that, yeah, I don't, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. And Right. Let's not jinx it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It all depends on him making an impact and being good. And uh, I don't know, things might go really badly and he might flop, but fingers crossed that isn't the case. And he, he, yeah, he does go on to... Uh, to have yeah two or three good years or maybe like seven he absolutely loves playing at the union and wants to become like a court hero or whatever but um yeah I think if he did like like if we go to the point yeah if you want to use it at seven then it's so it's just I, I think leagues just become in vogue from time to time and I think MLS is is probably in that moment at the moment and to be honest it might be for the next with the investment and the quality just 
rising and rising. And we, I guess we're going through COVID times as well. And a lot of the better leagues in Europe are, are struggling. Like we've seen with like the Super League, um, what's hap- what happened with the Super League, like that's come out of desperation, especially from like teams like Juventus and the Milan clubs, even Real Madrid and Barcelona. Yeah. Like we don't know what's going to happen with European football for the next five years. So can like there may be even a chance where MLS like becomes like one of the biggest leagues in in in, in the world like quite quickly. Like no, probably no one's really predicting that, but like it's it's not complete like completely impossible. All right, last one for you. Uh, a little bit of trivia for my listeners here. There have been eight Hungarian players who have played in Major League Soccer. Um, two of them were kind of like original guys from the 90s. I don't think any of us have heard of any of these guys. Uh, Istvan Orbanyi, I think he played for DC United. Um, there was a guy named Zoltan uh, Hershig Falvi. I think he played for Kansas City a long time ago. Um, everybody knows Nemanja Nikolic. I think he was the quietest 50 goal scorer in major league soccer. His, he was, it felt like he was here for two minutes, scored 50 goals. And then he, and then he left, uh, Daniel Shalloway, as you mentioned, uh, Sabal Sean just came over to FC Dallas. Uh, Zoltan Stieber was with DC United from 2017 to 2019, I believe. Uh, the guys who were still active, oh, I'm sorry. Barath also was, um, at Kansas city up until last year. Um, Christian Namath is still active of uh, obviously Gazdog and uh, Sabal Schoen, I guess are the three active Hungarian guys now playing in MLS. But um, there's, there's a history that, I mean, some of those guys came over here and played really well um, and are still active uh, over here. So when I look at that list, I say, okay, yeah, why the hell not? Um, does any of, do any of those names um, jump out at you? Any thoughts on those guys particularly or what they did over here in America? Yeah, it's, it's- it's funny because Obanyi was one of the reasons why Charlowe, um made the move, actually. So it's, it's funny that, that um, the first guy who came to MLS is, uh, was one of the guys who got um, got another one over. Um, Nikolic was, yeah, like you say, really, I guess, probably very unmemorable. Uh, he didn't play for a great team in Chicago. Um, but, yeah, he was super impressive. And he basically, all he ever has done throughout his career is just score goals and that's basically what he did at Chicago he was yeah, back yeah. when Schweinsteiger was there at the time as well um Neymar was an interesting one who's he's actually left Columbus now um um but when he was uh sporting Kansas City the first time he was he was super impressive and what I was really disappointed with him he'd he was really, really highly rated when he was young. Um, at Liverpool, he was. Everyone thought he was going to be a first team player, and then he had a really, really bad injury, and then flitted around loads of different clubs for a long time. And then he found his place when he was at. Um, he found his form again. It was the best season he'd, he'd ever had as a pro. And then he went to. He had that great season. Scored in the cup final. I think he scored yeah. goal of the year as well. Yeah. Um, and he just left for money and went to Qatar. Um, yeah, yeah, he went to the was Middle East for a year. So disappointing, so disappointing because everyone everyone absolutely loved him and, and everyone had such like delight for him that he's finally found his place in world football and he's yeah. finally got back on the horse. And then to do that, everyone was like, okay, we'll forget about you. Like, we, we've, we've just got, we've just got like... 
we, we can't put any emotion into you anymore because like you've just done that and that was it, a yeah, head scratch really I'm, I'm a... and then he came back to MLS a couple of times in doing the revolution in Columbus and yeah hasn't made an impact no that I was just going to say that was a head scratcher at the time I was like where the hell did this transfer come from because he was playing well and he was playing at a high level and that KC team was good and mm-hmm. um but I don't know. I guess that happens everywhere. You know, Javinko was over here for a little while too, and then he ended up going to the Middle East. And uh, Janino did that too. I don't know. I guess I'm not surprised, but uh, I don't know. It does. It did kind of bother me because I was like, "Here's a good player. He's he's got something going here." You know? Yeah. It was all about money, and I we spoke to Vermees on our show because he's got Hungarian links as well. He's playing Hungary, and he's uh, from a Hungarian family, um, and. Uh, we kind of went into that a little bit and he was just really disappointed um, in the route he took and um, they kind of forgave each other in the end um, because Nemec went back to uh, SKZ um, but it was kind of yeah it wasn't it wasn't right what he did um, and like I guess footballers only have a certain shelf life don't they and I, I, I know I, I know I have a couple of uh, mates who, who are former professionals who are now like don't have like hardly have a penny between them basically it's quite sad but like yeah and I guess maybe yeah there's, there's kind of two routes you can take isn't there like you, you can become the best footballer you want to be or you can try and make as much money as you want in the certain well and if we pay like if, if we paid our players more money over here and it's starting to get that way you know, then maybe that problem doesn't happen. You know, I mean, MLS is still a salary capped league, so you can pay a couple players, you know, anything you want, but everybody else has to fall under a certain number. So maybe, you know, Christian Namath's situation doesn't happen in the future as the cap continues to rise and the salaries continue to rise. And then maybe there's an incentive for people to stay over here, you know? Yeah, I guess it's just the sustainability of it because, like, you want – like if you look at China now, like China, the Chinese league obviously overpaid and it's kind of fallen apart in many ways. And like you uh, go back to like the European football example as well. Like European football in many ways is kind of falling apart. Like Barcelona, what are they, billion pound in debt or something? Yeah. Real Madrid have got like no money. Juventus have got no money. Inter Milan have got no money. Like unless you're like owned by an oil shake or uh, Roman Abramovich or whatever, like it's unsustainable to to just be spending this money so like i guess in men yeah on on half respects like it's 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 unfortunate that mls can't play these players but at least it's going to be sustainable for the future and like they're not just going to blow up the league like in 10 years time like chasing unrealistic and problematic salaries like i guess it's like what do you want and like you've yeah it's kind of a catch-22 because that's what football is. It's kind of, yeah, it's a, it's a mixed up murky world. Uh, Tom, that's all I got for you. Um, final word on uh, Daniel Gajdog. I mean, what do you think, what do you think he can be or what you hope he can be? What's uh, kind of, kind of, you know, as he gets ready to make this move to Philadelphia major league soccer, what's, what's the main thing that's on your mind when it comes to him? I just, I just want to see him like play well. Like we spoke about him maybe moving into three years, but, in my mind, that's, that's that wouldn't even come into. It. I just want to see him like cement his place in the team and and become yeah a first a first teamer and and contributing and 
in a way that he's done at um, Hanzade. Maybe not this season because he has been un- unbelievable, but like in the past two or three seasons, just being that consistent, regular figure in the, in the team. Like, because th- there has been a few players, um, like you, you mentioned, and you rattled off a few of their names, like Barat and um, Neymar, like and and Stieber, Like, they, 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 some of them have gone over and just not performed to the capabilities that we know they have. Um, whereas. I think that would be really disappointing if Godstock doesn't, because he is, is, like I say, super, super talented and he can be a, a real um, force in the league, I think. But I just kind of want to, I hope he um, kind of feels at home straight away, settles in and um, and, and starts well, because then, um, and this, um, I guess the, hopefully, like the fruits of the labour will be, later down the line but um, yeah that's what I hope more than anything Tom Mortimer uh, the founder of HungarianFootball.com everybody check that out follow him on Twitter as well uh, it's at Tomas Mortimer T-O-M-A-S-C-M-O-R-T-I-M-E-R uh, Tom thanks for your time uh, we're hoping that Daniel Gajdog scores boatloads of goals and uh, bags uh, boatloads of assists and um, if we have any, you know, great highlights that you need to share uh, on your site, we'll be sure to uh, let you know and we'll keep in touch. All right. Perfect. Thank you very much. All right. Let's see what you got in the way of questions and comments and concerns. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. This is my second attempt at recording this part of the podcast because I just spoke into a microphone for 20 straight minutes and none of it recorded. So it's been that kind of day in the uh, technical department, if you will. All right, anyway, 1-1 uh, one, one draw with New England. Uh, not an instant classic. You know, I said it was boring uh, at the start of the show. Maybe boring wasn't the best word. It was just it wasn't a great performance. A little slow. They weren't moving that well. Uh, the press really wasn't on. Couldn't hold much of the ball. Weren't carving out a lot of chances, really, you know, so on and so forth. They just looked off. You know, they looked a little tired and looked like they had played on the weekend, so... Um, I had a bunch of observations from the post-game show on the radio the other night. Thank you, uh, by the way, to everybody who's been listening to that. I, you know, some people have been saying that it's uh, enjoyable to be able to get in the car and be able to turn something on and hear about a game that they just watched. So I appreciate that. You know, that's why Sean and Joe started the whole thing last year. So uh, I'm just I'm glad people are enjoying it. So I'm going to touch on some of those points as I answer uh, questions here. Take two. Right, let's try to do it a second time. Uh, fade to black, where do we need the most depth? And is there anyone realistic that would be target options for us in the next window? Uh, you know, the more I watched, the more I think they could use a striker for sure. Um, you know, Casper is frustrating, but he's always good for a goal. <laughs> and uh, Sergio, you know, no end products. So I think I like both of those players for what they are. I feel like you could use an upgrade there, uh, you know, um, Corey Burke is really all you got coming off the bench in the striker department, unless you want to try Anthony Fontana there again. Uh, or when Gaj Dog shows up, if you want to try him as a striker, you know. But I feel like they need an upgrade there for sure. Not just depth, but I think they could upgrade, uh, upgrade uh, in the starting positions with striker for sure. So, Unkempt Surfer says, Danny Higginbotham is a decent analyst. I like his work. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think he's a big upgrade. Uh, the question is, why does this team struggle to hold possession? We're decent on the counter. Uh, we're not able to hold the ball long enough to get our fullbacks up. That's a good question. I, you know, Jose Martinez not being there has something to do with it for sure. Uh, Jamiro, when he plays as a 10, is not going to be as involved in the, the build-up play as he would, uh, you know, if he was as, playing as a shuttler. 
Um, and you know, look, I, I real quick, there was some like funkiness last night for sure. I, when you look at the, uh, group of Jack McGlynn, Leon Flock, Jameer Montero, Alejandro Bedoya, uh, that is, if you're taking a full strength starting 11, probably like a month or two from now, only one of those guys is in his position is in the position that he would be right. Cause what's our full strength midfield look like uh when gosh dog shows up okay so it's him playing the 10 jamiro at the eight bedoya at the other eight and jose martinez playing the six right i mean that's the best grouping that you have so i mean when you look at what it was last night wednesday night i you know you can't be too uh worried about what you saw because that's not what it's going to be going forward so um yeah and they're not they're not a possession team because they don't value possession you know i mean it's not really what they what they want to do. I mean, like long gone are the days of Harris Madunian in and Bork Dojkov pinging the ball around. So, uh, but yeah, they're going to have to get a sniff of the ball, especially playing at home. I think Brujo's better than that than we realized. And maybe you see when he's not there, uh, what you're missing. Right. So, uh, Paxton Aronson style consultant does Curtin really not have enough faith in the homegrowns to throw them in at the end of the game. Uh, if they aren't there yet, that's okay, but it's clear they need fresh legs and ideas. Yeah. You know, I mean, look, it's like, if you're going to promote these guys to the senior team roster, then they got to be good enough. You know, it's the thing with homegrowns. I mean, it's like, you know, either they're ready or they're not, you know, so you don't put them on the senior team roster and then say, well, they still need time. You know, if they needed time, they'd go play for union too, you know, or stay in the academy if they're still academy age. Right. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird thing with Jim. I, I think, you know, this year he's kind of not been using his, his subs the way that uh, maybe they were last year or the year before. You know, it reminds me of like old school Jim, I think a little bit, where he was kind of hesitant to go beyond like his 13th or 14th guy on the roster. And uh, maybe there just wasn't a lot of trust in the depth that they had. So uh, maybe he doesn't feel like these guys are ready. Um, that's, you know, because he's come a long way in that department, in that coaching area. So to me, it's not, it doesn't seem like a regression on his part. Maybe it's just indicative of the talent level, right? Um. David Pierce asked something similar. I think I just answered this. Why does Curtin hate using his subs? Yeah, I, don't, I know we don't have the depth, but he's never been one to use all his subs anyway. And it looks weird, especially in the era where you're having five subs, you know? So um, depth matters more than it used to, for sure, you know? Um, I think there's something lacking in that department, for sure. Uh, okay, who's next? Oh, let me scroll down here. Okay, Joe Joe Brescia says, do we still need a bona fide striker that can score with their feet on a consistent basis? I would say yeah. And to the earlier point, um, you know, like I said, I like Sergio Santos. I like Casper Shabilko. I like Jamiro. But that that trio, like as a collective, is not good enough. So, you know, you're not taking Casper off the field, right? Um, Jamiro is going to be moved back, hopefully, and replaced by Gosh Dog. And then Sergio Santos, is he good enough to stay? I don't know. Sergio would be just as effective coming off the bench with his speed and his verticality. So uh, I think they could go for a striker upgrade, absolutely. Uh, Mitch says, do you see Flock as Bedoya's replacement next year? Uh, sure, yeah, or when you know, whenever Ali takes off. Um, John or Die says, when Martinez comes back, where does Flock slot in? Uh, well, he goes back. He goes to the bench. He goes to the bench. He's not Leon Flock's not a first choice starter on this team when you're full strength. <coughs> Excuse me. Like I said, it's um, you know, it's gonna be my my first choice eleven is gonna be Brujo at the six, Bedoya and Montero at the eights, and then Gostog playing the ten. So Leon Flock's twenty years old. He's looked pretty good this year. You know, he'll get plenty of minutes coming off the bench or making a start for one of those guys if they're not available. 
But to me, he's not a shoe in starter. He hasn't done shit to earn that. So I think some people seem like he's like irreplaceable at this moment, and I don't I don't agree with that at all. Um, Ezra says it looks to me like they didn't have the depth to compete in both uh, early MLS and the Champions League. As a result, it looked like they are they looked undisciplined and a mess in front of goal. We kept hearing our focuses on the Champions League, but isn't that admitting that you didn't do enough in the off season? Um, yes and no. To borrow a, a phrase from John Hackworth that Hack liked to use, um, because look, I mean, with the schedule being stretched, they knew that they only had to get two rounds through two rounds, four games uh, at the beginning of the year before they get into the semifinal, which is in August. So, I think they were of the mindset of, look, I think we'll be okay now to get past Saprisa and Atlanta, uh, you know, with what we have, and not worry too much about like the first three or four games of the MLS season. Because look, now they got a stretch where they're playing three months worth of MLS games or like two, 2.5 with the, with the break in there um, where they can upgrade the squad before club America. So um, I I'd say that there's validity to what Ezra's saying. Absolutely. But it is the way the schedule worked out. It didn't make it look as bad probably as it could have been. Um, Craig says, have you seen any of the Bedoya stucco billboards? They always make me smile. Uh, no, I have, uh, I've not seen a Bedoya stucco billboard. So somebody's got to send me a picture or a DM me and tell me what I'm, what I'm supposed to be looking at there. Um, Mike says, has Fontana's form been poor enough to come off the bench so many times Would a formation change, uh, make sense considering the strikers haven't been great and the midfield has the most talent at the moment. Um, yeah, it's interesting to think about because, you know, and, and Matt DeGeorge and I touched on this at the last podcast, like two or three weeks ago, whenever we did it, they, they, you know, they used to go four, two, three, one, right. And we haven't seen that this year and mainly number one, because they'll see injured. Um, but they also don't have the guys on the other side to do it either. You know, when they went four, two, three, one last year, you'll see, you play on the right. Aronson would come over play on the left. Sometimes they had Fafa Pico the year before who would play on the left, um, you know, guys who are just natural wingers. You know, they don't have they don't have wingers now. They don't play with wingers, so they don't sign any. So you know, if they went four two three one, you could you could theoretically do something where Fontana could play behind Shabilko or whoever the striker is, and he could sort of attack. Uh, you know, as a second striker, withdrawn kind of guy, and he wouldn't have as much defensive responsibility because he would have two D mids behind him, a six and an eight. But I don't know if they have the personnel to make it work on the wings. So um, that's an interesting topic. Yeah, I guess they just don't like Fontana's defensive work rate or just don't think he's getting on the ball enough when he places the 10. Interestingly enough, when he came into the game Wednesday night, he was playing on the left side of the midfield. And uh, Jamiro stayed up and was playing the 10 and was in these really quirky advanced positions where there were times where he was the furthest guy up the field while New England had the ball. So I don't know why Fontana was playing as a shuttler and Jamiro was up there. It could have had something to do with Jamiro being on a yellow card. Uh, but then there were other times, too, where Corey Burke was tracking back defensively and having to play like right mid or, or like the right side of number eight or whatever you want to call it. And on the goal that New England scored, Burke is back there trying to make a slide tackle in his own defensive third. So I don't really know what, what happened with that. I'm not sure if Jim was asked about it last night. Maybe we can follow up at the next press conference or whatever. But that seemed quirky to me. I You know, I just think that Jamiro is better as an eight for sure, you know. Um, a lot of what he gives you at the 10, he can give you at the eight as well. And his volume and his ability to get on the ball and come back and help out in possession, I think that's sorely missed. I think him 
Brujo and Bedoya as the three guys in front of the back line. That gives you the best grip on the game um, that you can possibly have, and they just didn't have it in this one. So, um, All right, last question from Big Mac. He says, what are the chances that anybody besides Gage Dog will be added to the team? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, they paid 1.8 million for him. You know, uh, common knowledge would say that if the union do something like that, that's the signing that, that, that they make for the season. But, uh, you know, the f- transfer window, the summer window is going to be there. Club America looms, uh, the Aronson and McKenzie money hasn't all been spent, you know, for sure. So uh, there's it, the window's still open literally and figuratively if they want to do something there. But, um, I still would like to see a DP striker. You know, I, I the more that I think about it, the more that I watch this team, maybe Gosh Gosh Dog unlocks Santos and Shabilko a little bit more for sure. But uh, you know, I think they'd be best served with Shabilko, a DP striker, Gosh Dog, Bedoya, Montero, Brujo, and the back line. And then off the bench you got Leon Flock, you got Corey Burke, you got Sergio Santos, you got Anthony Fontana. Uh, you know, I mean, that's to to me, that's the best scenario that they can um, that they can put themselves into. So, um, yeah, that's it for the questions. I, you know, I, I guess one one, just real quick on the game, one one's a f- okay result. Uh, you know, you drop points at home. I think you always say that a home draw is a bad result and a road draw is a good result, especially the way that they played at Subaru Park last year because uh, it was kind of a fortress, you know, a bastion of. Uh, whatever, right, of of uh, not allowing goals. And, uh, you know, especially against New England, who f- now is kind of a team that you played so many times that it's like you don't know what's going to happen, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Shabilko, did he elbow Matt Turner? Probably. I don't think we got that front side review um, or replay angle of it. So it's kind of hard to tell how much the arm was raised and how much of the face he got. But I felt like it probably made up for – the union not getting the penalty call in the first half, not the first Shabilko sequence, but the second where he was on the ball and just kind of got bumbled into by the defender. You know, there wasn't a lot of contact there, but if you get wrong sided and you're trying to get into space that the striker has, and you're on the wrong side of the goal, um, then it's a penalty any day of the week. So I don't know. I had a couple of revs fans like up my ass about that last night for some reason. Um, anyway, that'll do it. Uh, so Daniel gosh dog, hope he gets here soon. And, uh, we're, we, we're working on some details for the fifth anniversary thing, which I think is going to happen in the summer. And the CDC says we don't got to do masks anymore. So it's a beautiful thing. We're going full, uh, capacity. I love it. So, uh, life is good. We're getting back to things about, uh, getting back to life is normal around here. So, uh, onward and upward and hopefully, uh, some wins. <laughs>